Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews this morning, chapter 2. This is God's word, receive it by faith. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For has he not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels? But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Here ends the reading of God's word this morning. Dear brothers and sisters here at New Covenant Church, what do you see when you look around in the world where you live? What do you see? Do you sometimes get discouraged? Do you sometimes get discouraged because you wonder who is in charge? today. How is it better? How is it more beneficial for us to confess the name of Jesus and to have these bold statements that he is Lord and that he is King of Kings and that he has conquered death where do you see that victory? Does your confession of Jesus resurrected help you pay your bills? Has it helped you in your prayers for your mother who is terminally ill? Is the world coming to the church. Please help us understand the solution for the major issues that this world is faced with. Geopolitical, economic, military, educational, financial. What do you see of Jesus' Lordship? What do I see in my own life of Jesus' Lordship? Is Jesus' Lordship really powerfully, radically, definitively removing all the lingering imperfections that are mine? Seems to me that when I look at my own life, soul life, I have made but a small beginning. And the fact of the matter is, so have you. The audience for whom the letter of Hebrews was written was having doubts. The audience were having doubts too. That's really, I'm guessing, um, that that is the reason why this letter was written to them. Letters called, of course, Hebrews, so we're thinking of people who are Jewish, who became Christians. And they needed encouragement. And I can think of two reasons that explain the purpose for this letter. One is the perennial issue that the apostles ran into, that no matter where they went, the Jewish community would always resist and reject. And these people being Jewish in origin 
would also have the other possible challenge, and that is that living in this very pagan world, it would be easier to live as a Jew. Because we know from extra-biblical sources that Jewish people were given some leniency by the Romans, some privileges to exercise and practice their identity as Jewish people. But the, the Christians, whether you were Jewish Christian or Gentile Christian, if you said you were a Christian, you were looked upon with skepticism. You were a sect. Uh, you were some strange offshoot of these, this Jewish religion. And so there's the danger, there was the challenge for Christians of this background to say, I'm going to make life a little easier for myself. I'm going to return to Judaism. What were they seeing about Jesus' lordship to their issues, to their challenges? It's a question that I said we ask today. What do we see about Jesus' lordship, his power, his presence, his authority? I know about you, but I've grown in my appreciation for the book of Hebrews. Notice some of these books in the Bible that as you grow as a Christian, um, you know, there's 66 books, right? Uh, some is uh, what has your attraction initially as you become a Christian and, and develop your spiritual life. And that may be such books like uh, Galatians and Romans. You know, this, this experience, it's an experience. It's an experience to be set free from doubt from fear of death, from the judgment to come, when you are taught the doctrines of sovereign grace, when you're taught and set free by the truth, the powerful truth, the transformative truth, that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, thanks to Christ alone. But you continue then in your love for God's word, and then as you grow in grace, then other books, begin to have a shine that they may not have had before. It's all, of course, God's word. It's all glorious. But for you, from your experience, and that's how it has been for me. Two books in particular. One is the book of Revelation, um, and then uh, the book of Hebrews. And so the book of Hebrews is telling us a message of great hope. I asked the question, you asked the question, what do I see about Lord Jesus' power and presence in, in my life, in life, in our society, where everything else, you know, everything seems to be going in the opposite direction of what we know to be God-honoring? Let us remember these three things. When it is difficult to see the Lordship of Christ in today's world, remember, first of all, that Jesus is superior anything and everything else. And let us remember that Jesus is superior because he was made human. And then finally, let us rejoice in Jesus' exaltation. So the purpose of this sermon really arises from these few verses 
8 and 9. It says there in 8b, um, but now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. The book of Hebrews starts out, of course, in chapter 1, uh, focusing our attention on the supremacy uh, of uh, God's revelation in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is superior. That's the whole general argument once again, and that is to say, don't go back to Judaism. You know, it is passé. It is a dead-end road. Um, there's no way to turn once you come to the end of it. All you have is the law, and you're still guilty if that's all you trust in, your obedience to the law. So there is the superiority of Christ uh, above uh, the angels. Um, and then uh, chapter 2 starts out um, making the point that we need to uh, hold on to what we have been given in the gospel. Uh, because the angels, um, and why exactly they are emphasized so much, I'm not so sure. Maybe there was uh, among uh, Christian people or Jewish people a, an angelic worship of sorts going on. Um, but um, there is also the possibility that the Jewish people uh, thought about the, uh, the, the law having given to Israel through the ministry of angels. Um, but uh, Jesus' superiority is what we need to keep in mind. He is superior to angels. He is superior to all things created. And he is therefore also superior to Moses, Aaron, Joshua, we hear about them, you know, as we go through the book, as it opens up to us. Um, yeah, we don't see everything clearly, do we? We do not see that everything is subject to Jesus when we look around in this world, and if we're honest, in the world that is in our soul. How do we are, how are we encouraged by this first point that Christ is superior. Many Christians, it seems to me, if they don't understand the doctrine of grace, they will understand that the doctrine of holiness is very serious, of course. And their understanding is that if they're holy and they grow in holiness and they stop doing this and they do more of that, that when they come at the end of the day and they make up the, you know, the, the, the pluses and the minuses, that the good works outweigh the bad works and they must be okay. That is not salvation doctrine. That is not how you live a happy Christian life, if I put it in those terms. The happiness, I'm not talking about sentimentality, but I'm talking about the happiness of knowing that I'm free in Christ forever. And I know that because there's no pluses and minuses that I calculate in some way. There is the joy and happiness of knowing that Jesus is superior. My happiness is in Jesus, in other words. In His glory, in His majesty. And the sort of paradoxical way in which the letter uh, brings that to our attention is that it becomes very clear that the way in which the superiority, the lordship, the kingship of Christ is manifest in our lives is not by way of the crown, 
but through the cross. Just like it was in Jesus' life. He came, though he was crowned from all eternity, he let that crown be taken from him, shall we say it in those words. And he became flesh. He became like you and me, except for sin. And so, yes, he entered into a world. Most people didn't even recognize him for who he was. Again, that paradoxical way in which the majesty of God is revealed to this world, to the nations. People don't even see him when they see him in the flesh. Jesus obtained his crown through the cross. We as Christians, post-resurrection, post-Pentecost, we ride the wave of that resurrection life. We have that life, we know by faith that nothing can withstand us, nothing can keep us from our eternal reward. In the faith, in the knowledge that God is present with us, His favor is upon us every moment. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. There's no issue, there's no challenge, including the, the temptations that are part of the Christian battle. They can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But where do we go with this question, what do I see? Do I fixate my eyes on what I literally see in life, government, state, politics, what have you, my own life, my community, church sometimes? Or do I remember to put on the spectacles of faith? It's an entirely different perspective that you gain when you put on the spectacles of God's Word. And through it you understand that Jesus is superior. Jesus is the all-powerful, everlasting, unchanging God of the universe. Who, as we're told in this book, was intimately involved as God in the creation of the entire cosmos. But he comes to us in the flesh. He, his, his, his divinity, his majesty is shrouded in, excuse me, in weakness. That's how Jesus proves his superiority and presents his superiority to us. It is through the crown, excuse me, it is through the cross before it is through the crown. The Apostle Paul knows about that weakness. Paul writes, for when I'm weak, I am strong. We're so used, maybe in America, maybe uh, you've noticed by now that my uh, speech is a little different, maybe not quite a speech impediment, but um, I'm not Scottish, I am not Irish, I am not Hispanic, I'm Dutch. So you heard that maybe a little bit. Um, but maybe because we live in America, we think about Christian claims about the kingdom, the presence of God, 
in kind of Rambo style. And sometimes that is fostered by preaching that says, you know, flex your faith biceps. You know, show your bold defiance of the devil. I've seen TV preachers do that on stage, just openly defiant of Satan. Be careful who you deal with. It is not by the name and claim it either that we present the power of the resurrection to the world. It's through the cross. It is through the cross that Christ gives to every follower to bear. Not his cross, your cross. And I share with you the sentiment that I don't like it. Do you like to be a cross-bearing Christian? Do you really like it naturally to say no to yourself and to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done? When it comes to real important issues, like the concern for a family member, maybe a relationship of sorts, maybe money or relationships with other people, uh, issues in life that you say, Lord, Help me to relinquish it. Help me to let it go, as it were, and to trust you. That you are on the throne. You are the God of the universe. You are sovereign. You've got all the details of my life under your hands. Every molecule in my body is imprinted with the, with the signature of your authorship. Not easy. Hebrews says... In verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. My friends, that warning is still pertinent today. If it were not for the grace of God, we'd be falling away. We would not be sustained. We would not be sustained in our confession, but our natural depravity, our natural uh, inclination to uh, not believe, to look at the conditions and circumstances rather than Jesus and his cross. Um, that would be true of all of us. But instead, he says, um, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you, away, leading you to fall away from the living God. That leads me to that second point of Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity, our humanity. Jesus' superior in his humanity. Verse 13. But exhort, or means encourage, one another every day. As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Jesus came to this world because I am a sinner. And because I am, by nature, naturally fearful of death. One American filmmaker said, I'm not afraid of dying. 
just don't want to be there when it comes. Is that the statement of faith? I don't think so. But he has a point. You could say you're not afraid of death, but there's something in your soul that keeps nagging and keeps having to give you a sense of restlessness. Augustine talked about that, didn't he? Early church father. Every sinner is away from home. Every person that we see all around us, every single human being is restless. And their behaviors, their, their actions, their lifestyles, all can be reduced to this one thing. People are restless outside of paradise. No peace, no true joy, no contentment. All those fruit of the new life that we Christians have a beginning of, the world doesn't. As fruit of the Holy Spirit, in the common realm, you can say, you know, people are, seem to be content and so forth. But as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, this is only a fruit of the Holy Spirit in Christians. And so we share humanity with everybody around us, but we stand apart from all of those around us because we confess Jesus. And we confess that Jesus, eternal Son of God, became like us. He became a man. And he became a man for the purpose of saving me from my sins. So that I know, don't need to have a fear of death. So that I know that the resurrection life that Christ has accomplished for us is, for us is mine too. Yes, me too. Is that a wonderful confession that we make? Me too. Reformers were doing that a lot in their, some in their writings. Jesus objectively did what he did. But what does that mean for you personally? Unless it is not just Christ for me, but Christ in me. The eternal Son of God, born in the flesh, in me. What a thought. Mind-boggling. Supernatural. Can't figure it out. Eternity finite in me. Jesus' humanity. Jesus emptied himself, Paul says, by taking on the human condition. Hebrews 1. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Chapter 2, our text, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is superior in his humanity 
because he is superior in his divinity. And so he is able, it says, to taste death for everyone. Now here are probably some bells ringing in your minds because as Reformed Christians we believe in election and predestination um, and so what could be uh, behind this, uh, this verse? Well, it's not all that disconcerting. Um, it happens uh, several times in the New Testament scriptures that one phrase is paralleled by another and the parallel phrase, the second part of it, um, is then explaining the first. So here, when we read that Jesus tasted death for everyone, it doesn't mean that he tasted death particularly um, with, the, with the person's name on it. But he certainly tasted death. He had a taste of death in hell, which is the experience to which anyone and everyone can make their appeal. That whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. There's no distinction, no discrimination, nothing of, this, of that order. All-sufficient, glorious Savior. He tasted death for everyone. Verse 10, for it was fitting that, I summarize it a little bit here, that God should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus is our human savior, because that is the only way in which to have an appreciation for the love that God is, and that God has for you, by way of the Son of God becoming flesh, because of sin. Sin is unbelief. Unbelief is sin. And the wages of sin is death. And then the judgment. The exodus. Pristine white page of God's power and presence on display in the life of the Old Testament people of God. That page quickly turned dark, didn't it? When the very saved ones became unbelievers you might say. They responded to their salvation in unbelief. And the warning in this book is uh, very um, emphatic. Don't you here at New Covenant Church commit the same error? Every day you're called to faith. Because if you don't have faith, you have unbelief. There's no gray area that I know of. And so don't lose sight of your master, your maker, your Lord and your Savior because he is Lord of all and all things are by the Father made into subjection to him. But it has yet to be revealed in its totalness, in its fullness at the consummation. But he is Lord, absolutely. Lord over San Francisco, Lord over Moscow, Lord over Beijing, it doesn't matter. Wall Street, Hollywood, Jesus is Lord. And he's going to show it too. Every institution, every power, uh, popular group or, uh, that, that claims to be important, it is God who will officiate at their burial. God is the living God. And outside the life of God, there is no life. There is only death. And that is 
an eternal death. And the example of the Israelites are a warning to the church. Don't commit the same sin of unbelief. They complained, where do we see in this miserable desert the Lordship of God? We have no bread. We have no water. And God, in His grace, supplies it abundantly. Does He do it in the way we would all want it to be? Would it be a five, you know, um, uh, um, uh, a different meal every day? No, it wasn't. But God provides that means of His grace to uphold the ancient people of God. But the fact of the matter is that you could probably say 98% of them buried in the desert. Moses himself not even entered, but Caleb and Joshua. And there were others with them, of course, but they had been born during the 40-year pilgrimage. Sin is very serious. Don't take it lightly. Don't say to yourself, what harm is there in it? If I do this or that, look at this or that. I'm in control. I pray, go to Bible study, go to church. I can afford to give sin a little wiggle room in my life. You are the most foolish person on earth. If you think that you can play with sin, because you have just proven the point. The nature of sin is that it is deceitful. Because sin has appeal to our natural, depraved, fallen faculties. And so we rationalize, and soon enough we think, yeah, that's maybe a possibility. And instead of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we take them off of him. And we lose sight of his superior majesty and the reason why he became human for you. To make something new out of you. Totally new. Forever new is what you are already now in Christ Jesus. Forever new. Can you see it? No. Getting a little older. My back hurts sometimes. My muscles are no longer the same, you know, not as flexible. My mind is slowing down. My eyesight is a little less. So I don't see it. But I know it. Because I know it by faith. And that's why I don't want sin in my life. Because sin doesn't help me in any way. So let us commit at the beginning of another week to destroy the idols of the heart. Every one of them. And that's something between you and your God. Jesus is exalted. I notice that the outline 
Jesus is superior, Jesus was made human, and Jesus is exalted is kind of an outline of the theology of it all. It emphasizes that the exalted one became flesh, and that he became flesh in order to be exalted again, you might say. He, the superior one, became human in order that he might carry away your my sins and then be receiving the crown and honor that is his and that was given him upon his ascension. So with a book title by Thielicke, old German, post-World War II uh, generation, he has a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount and that book is entitled Life Can Begin Again. So when you see that things are not well with this world, you have that perspective that transcends that. By faith you believe. You are a positive person. That's what I'm saying. Positive thinking here. Life has begun again. Because I serve a living Savior. The Son of God. Born in the flesh, who took away the sins of the world, his people in particular, so that we can have the hope that is within us and to share that with others. Let God's best come into your life. Newness of life, resurrection life. Let the grace of God transform your life. Submit to him. Surrender to him. What are the alternatives? Author of Hebrews has his eyes on the end. Until the end, we're called to be faithful. Don't let go of that which God placed in your own hands, the gift of salvation. It's a treasure. And there is indeed nothing like it in this world. Don't focus on what you see. And don't get too superficially, too quickly excited when the US Supreme Court overrules something. That's in God's providence. But we are cross bearers. And it doesn't matter how life goes, really. I'm not saying that we are not responsible citizens and that we should assert our rights and civil duties and obligations and so forth, but as Christians, we're not getting all bent out of shape one way or the other. Because we see that not everything is under the Lordship right now. But what do we see? Is the one we see. It is Jesus. We see Jesus. We see Jesus by faith in the flesh, seated at the right hand of God the Father. The Lordship of Christ is present indeed, through word and spirit. Where do you see Christ present in your life? Look right next to you. You are one another's brothers and sisters. No, not biologically. Well, could be, but 
We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is a bond that is permanent, eternal. And you and I together have been adopted. Like my two kids, we adopted them. God has adopted us by choice, by his will, by his love, his generosity, received into grace, into life. Life can begin again. Tell that to your friends who are struggling. Tell that to your friends who are so confused about things. Challenge them with God's best for them. It's the best that is only found in the life that is found in Christ Jesus. You see Christ through the fruit of the Holy Spirit of Christ in one another's lives. We see it today in the sacraments. We don't have a Catholic mystic view of the presence of Christ. I get that. But Christ is in the sacraments. Through the Holy Spirit, we say as good Calvinists. And so, by word and sacrament, our eyes are drawn to heaven. Sursum corda. That phrase was used earlier. Lift up your hearts. Well, lift them up. And don't wait for communion. Lift them up when you wake up in the morning. And tell yourself, this is a good day. I have a doctor's appointment. I'm still unemployed. The weather is, well, it's better here than where I am. <laughs> we had 107 degrees yesterday. But thank the Lord for each day. Because life has begun in your life. And share that with others. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness to come to this world of ours and step right inside it. And in such a way that so many at that time didn't even recognize that God was dwelling among them. Because you came in the flesh. And we thank you for that, Lord. Because it was in that way only that you could give us hope of a better life. And to be done with the fear of death. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life that we have in Christ. And that is the life that we're celebrating today as your people. And so as we continue to celebrate that through the administration of the sacrament. May we as true believers be drawn to it and partake of it. And if we're not quite sure, let us hold back. And let us wait till we understand what the questions are and the answers to them that we might have. So that in all things this morning, you will receive all the praise and all the glory. Heavenly Father, we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth 
here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to the end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.